as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Father, we pray that you would add a blessing to the reading of your word. I pray that you'd open up our eyes and let us see and comprehend God's heart for the city. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Like Jeremiah and other prophets weeping for their people, Jesus cries out a lament over the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a privileged city. It had witnessed the preaching of such great prophets as Isaiah and Jeremiah. It was the place where David and Solomon had ruled so successfully. Most of all, Jerusalem was the place where the temple was found, in which the Ark of the Covenant rested. Jerusalem symbolized for the whole nation of Israel the blessings, the favor, and the presence of God. Jerusalem had been magnificently developed by Herod the Great during his reign. And it was known really as one of the wonders of the world. It was amazing what Jerusalem and the temple would have been like during this time. Magnificent. Yet all of that was about to change. You see, no matter where Jesus looked, he found cause for weeping. Isn't it ironic that you can be with a group of people who are either rejoicing and dancing and happy and thrilled, and they're in the midst of all of this joy, and yet Jesus could be weeping? And then there's times in which you're in the middle of a bunch of people who are rejoicing, and you're weeping, or vice versa. They're weeping, and yet in the midst of their difficulty, in the midst of the trial, you're still happy and filled with joy. So Jesus says, as he looks around the city, if he looked back, he saw how the nation had wasted its opportunities and been ignorant of the time of their visitation. If he looked within... He saw spiritual ignorance and blindness in the hearts of the people. They should have known who he was, for God had given them his word, and he had sent messengers telling of the one who was to come, people who had been preparing the way. If you look around him, Jesus saw religious activity that accomplished very little. The temple had become a den of thieves, and the religious leaders were intent upon killing Jesus. The city was filled with pilgrims celebrating a festival, but the hearts of the people were heavy with sin and burdened down with the cares of this life. As Jesus looked ahead, he began to weep as he saw the terrible judgment that was coming upon the nation, the city, and the precious temple. You see, in AD 70, the Romans would come in, and after a siege of 143 days, Estimates were that they killed 600,000 Jews. It took thousands more captive. They destroyed the temple and the city and carried off the furnishings of the temple. Why did all of this happen? Because the people did not know that God had visited them. The scripture says that he came to his own, and his own received him not. 
She saves the other half. That she's going to eat the other half later. Josephus writes about it. She saves the other half. She's going to eat it later. But people around smelled something cooking. And they came in and took it and ate the rest of her baby. There's other accounts of suffering that the people went through. Many of the inhabitants of the city would try to sneak out or get out. And what they would do is, because they had some wealth, they would take gold and they would swallow it. Because they didn't want anyone to take their gold. And as they left the city, they would be disemboweled. People would cut their stomachs out and take the gold out of their intestines. Dead bodies were stacked everywhere. He wrote about the temple. Dead bodies stacked and having to walk, people having to walk over them. They would find a home because they ran out of places to bury people in essence. And there were so many dead bodies that they would find a home and they would just keep stacking dead bodies or a building and just keep stacking dead bodies in there and dead bodies in there and try to shut the doors. But the smell was horrible. 600,000 people died. They crucified hundreds of people outside the city walls for everyone to see. That's what awaited Jerusalem. Because they rejected the Messiah who was coming for them. You see, while everybody was singing and dancing and rejoicing as Jesus is coming down the Mount of Olives. Another thing about the Mount of Olives, a lot of times we think of mountains around here. Really, Jerusalem is built on a series of hills. So you can walk down the Mount of Olives and up into the temple in a short walk. It's really not that far. It's down a hill and up the next one and you're there. So as Jesus is walking down the Mount of Olives and as he's looking over at the temple, he begins to weep because he knows what's ahead. Even though everybody around him is all dancing and shouting and they're praising his name. Earlier, Jesus made this statement in Luke chapter 13, verse 34. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus called to remembrance the city's history of responding to the man of God. When he speaks of Jerusalem, many would say that that represents not just the city, but when he speaks of Jerusalem, it speaks of the whole nation. A prophet is a person who speaks God's truth to others. Prophets are also called seers because of their spiritual insight and their ability to see the future. Prophets had both a teaching and revelatory role, declaring God's truth on contemporary issues while also revealing details about the future. Isaiah's ministry, for example, touched on both the present and the future. He preached boldly against the corruption of his day, and he delivered grand visions of the future of Israel. In spite of their treatment of God's servant, in spite of what he sees that awaits him in the coming week, Jesus still longs for them to come to him and receive his protection and covering. His sacrificial love is extended to them, but they refused. As a result, the consequences of desolation and destruction await them. They're inevitable. As we see Jesus' reaction to Jerusalem, I believe that it also is his heart for our communities. Can I be honest with you for just a few moments? 
things have not changed that much since Jesus' time. He's still calling out to people. He's still looking for people. He still has a plan for his people. His heart is sacrificial love and giving of himself. He still sends his messenger out to prepare the way of the Lord. Scores of people continue to reject the prophetic word of the Lord. In today's society, as in that day, they chose a charlatan or an entertainer over the unadulterated word of God, over the loving guidance of a shepherd and preferred to be manipulated and lied to. They reject the message and they abuse or despise the messenger. Yet all across the world, his word continues to faithfully go forth. He calls for those who are weary and heavy laden and those who are burdened, and he offers them to find rest for their souls. You know, Jerusalem has an incredible place in God's heart. Jerusalem is a key place in God's future and in God's plans for his people. Incredible place of significance in the kingdom of God. Yet now you and I are the temple. If you go to the Temple Mount today in Israel, in Jerusalem, and you walk up on there, do you know what's there? What's there? The Dome of the Rock. What's the Dome of a Rock? It's controlled by the Muslims, my friend. The Muslims control the Temple Mount. That's what's there. This beautiful dome. Oh, that's beautiful. That's a Muslim place of worship. So when we think of the Temple and Israel being a place of God's choosing, yet on that very place of God's choosing, it's a Muslim holy site. That's what it is. You walk around there, the Jews are not allowed on this place. This is for the Muslims. Okay? As Jesus looks over Jerusalem, the temple was destroyed. You and I are now the temple of the Spirit. And God's Spirit dwells and lives inside of you. And yes, God has a great plan for Jerusalem and for his holy city. But he says in the last days, he's going to pour out his Spirit on all flesh. I believe what Jesus prayed over Jerusalem, he prays over our community and our neighborhood as well. I believe with all of my heart that God has a heart for New Holland. I don't think that he just has a heart for Jerusalem. He just has a heart for the temple. I believe he has a heart for Goodville. I believe with all of my heart that God looks over little places. Pastor Rodney spoke last week about the call of God, and I really appreciated what he said. The call of God on people's lives. But can I tell you one of the things where the enemy destroys and kind of hinders people? The call of God for many people is always something down the road. It's always something down the road. It's like starry. It's exciting. It's glorious. It's glamorous. It's fantastic. It'll be awesome. The call of God. A lot of people are deceived by this idea of the call of God because it's, it's a carrot that's always about four or five steps ahead of them that they never get to. And so for, they spent 60 years excited and passionate about the call of God, but they do absolutely nothing with the moment right now, that carrot, that this moment in time right now. I'm going to tell you, the enemy will deceive you, he'll manipulate you, he'll destroy 
calls him to the place where he wants somebody to discover. God says, I want to flow for you right now. I want to use you right now. I want to empower you right now. I want to do something in your life. God isn't just concerned about Jerusalem. He has a heart and a passion for Jerusalem. But can I tell you that God has a heart and a passion for Ephrathah? God's got a heart, and God looks over places. God looks over the trucking industry, and he weeps. God looks over the construction industry, and he weeps. And God looks over factories, and he weeps. And God looks over neighborhoods, and he looks over families, and he weeps because he says, if you would only recognize the time of my visitation. God's a now God. He's not just a future God. He's not just a fantasy God of somewhere down the road. He is a now God. He's working now. He wants to heal now. He wants to deliver now. He wants to save now. He wants to speak now. He wants you to do something what he's told you to do now. We Old school. This is what old school was. When dad told you to do something, you know how parents are like, one, two, two and a half. That said, when he told you to do something, he expected you to do it now. You learn obedience. When God speaks to you, he wants you to learn obedience now. And what happens is when you start obeying him, the blessings start coming. It's amazing. We know what we they celebrated 20 years when he renewed your vows. And one of the things we got to do as a pastor is I got to bless them and pronounce and speak a blessing over them. The cool thing with that is when a person submits themselves, or when a teenager, a young person, submits themselves to the leadership of their parents, they can receive the blessing from their parents. Now, other people may look at it and say, what do they have to offer? I can guarantee you that as a parent, you are anointed by God, you are empowered by God, that you can lift your kids up and position them to go much further than you ever have. You're positioned to do that. You know, there's sometimes that we can actually take people further than what we are because they stand on our back, because we propel them, because we, we push them forward. And as a pastor, whenever a person submits to the leadership that God establishes, it's a biblical principle. When they submit to that leadership, they can receive from that person, they can receive that blessing from them, and God empowers that to take place. Whenever you submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life, whenever you submit to his rulership of your life, his direction in your life, it brings you into a place of favor and it brings you into a place of his blessing. And so as we go back to this idea of the call of God, God's call is upon your life, but it's not for something just down the road. Yeah, he has something down the road for you, but he wants to use you right now, this moment. Right now. You'll be surprised when you start walking in obedience. You don't have to wait, you know, well, someday, after I get all this stuff cleared up, I get my wife straightened out, my kids straightened out, quit doing this and quit doing that, maybe God might use me. You be obedient to him now. You listen to what he says now. He has something for you. But God's heart, God looks over the city of Jerusalem. Jesus looked over the city of Jerusalem. And he wept for them, and he cried for them, because they did not recognize.
recognized the day of his visitation, and they did not respond to his invitation to come to him. As we get ready to close, God's heart is for eternal. God's heart is for grocery outlet, corporate office. God's heart is for the VA. God looks over places like Singer. He looks over that place and he begins to weep over that place. God's heart is for Peckway. God's heart is for Ephrata. God's heart is for Honeybrook. God's heart is for New Holland. It's for Leola. He weeps over that. Now he sends forth his messengers. The other thing about being God's messenger is this. The prophets and the messengers, you know, that, that's kind of like a, like, wow, that must be really cool. What do people typically do to the messengers? They kill them, don't they? We have the warning, don't shoot the messenger. There's some things that God's going to call you to do. Jesus knew. As he looked over Jerusalem, he still wept over. He knew they were going to reject him. He knew they were going to despise him. He knew they were going to beat him. He knew they were going to spit upon him. Yet he still fulfilled the call of God. Because he understood. He was obedient in the moment. But he understood that God was going to use what he did for future glory. And so what, I'm going to, what I believe God is calling you to do is in spite of what people do or say, that you fulfill the call of God that's upon your life. In spite of the circumstances or the outcomes, it's nice when everybody just falls on their knees and gets saved and says, Oh my goodness, I knew God sent you. God sent you to me. Sometimes they reject you. Sometimes they turn their backs on you. Sometimes they despise you. And yet God still calls us. Jesus was still obedient to what the Father had asked him. Now, as we close, this is what, we, what I'm going to ask you to do. I believe that as Jesus looks over Lighthouse, I believe he calls some people to him today. If he would look over some and he would say, see, because today, this moment, right now, is the time of his visitation. Don't be deceived. It's right now. Now's the time. Right this moment, instantly, right now is the time of God's visitation. And he says to some of you, some of you are weary. And he says, come on to me, I'll give you rest. There's some of you who he's calling to you, who you need a miracle in your life. You need a miracle. God has to intervene. And he's calling to you and he says, come on to me. You're heavy laden. Those of you who are burdened. As I said, there's some who need healing, some who need peace. And he says, I'll be your peace. Some who need direction. He says, I will lay out for you. I will be your guide. Come to me. Some of us may need to respond to God because they need his provision. And he says, just come on to me. Come on to me. Someone else may have a problem with your kids or with your marriage or with your home. And the Lord is calling you to come to him to receive from him. He's looking for someone who will answer the call. And he sent me to speak to you today. The funny thing is, is you know what? As a pastor, I stand sometimes right after I'm done speaking. God gives pastors hearts for his people. And I see some who so desperately need him. They so desperately. They're jammed up. And they sit in their seat. They don't recognize the time of his visitation. If there's anything that would make me quit and do something else, it's that. 
same people again and again, rejecting his invitation. Not that they're not saved, not that they aren't born again, but they're carrying things that he never intended for them to carry. They're not able to fulfill what God's plans are for their lives because they're so consumed with things that are going on right now. They think that ministry is down the road and the call is down the road, but my problem right now is all-consuming. God's heart for the city and God's heart for you is the same. All that you don't reject him. All that you receive. All that he has for you. So, Father, I pray that as we open up these altars today, I pray in Jesus' name that your people, as they respond to you, I pray that they would find peace for their souls. I pray, God, that they would find rest from you. I pray that they'd find direction from you. I pray that they'd find comfort and healing. Because, Lord, we know that you are the one who offers all of those things. And we give you praise and thanks for that. In Jesus' name.